this is the beginning of our new series entitled Corinthians, The Power of Unity. We're going to be speaking for uh, the next several weeks and throughout the next couple of months, actually, on the book of 1 Corinthians. So as we study through this uh, book of the Bible, we just come out of the Gospel of John, so we've studied the Gospel of John for several weeks and uh, saw how that uh, Jesus taught us different things through the Amen series. So uh, we're beginning the series now about Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. And as we study this, I want us to read through it uh, continuously. So as a church, as a body, I want us to continue to read through over and over and over and over the book of 1 Corinthians. Because I believe that sometimes in our life that we uh, need an understanding from God about some things going on in our life. Amen? So I feel like that this season of our church and the ministry here at Bethesda, we are needing the power of unity to do what Jesus has called us to do. Maybe we needed to preach more on the Amen series. I said we need the power of unity to do what Jesus has called us to do. We cannot do things divided, and we cannot do things with disunity or uh, no harmony in the body. We need, I don't know what this is. I found it up here. I want to do something with yours. If I hold on to it the whole time, I'll fiddle with it, so I've got to get rid of it. 1 Corinthians. So as we look today, let, we're going to begin this series by looking at the first three verses for the message for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So as we put it up on the screen, let's stand as we read uh, these three verses that Paul is writing to the church and let us look into it and find something that will guide us in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I am writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let's pray. Lord, we pray just as Paul was praying for the church at Corinth. Lord, as he was speaking to this body of believers that he had went and gave his blood, sweat, and tears to lead. And Lord, that he had, he had demonstrated your son Jesus Christ amongst these people. And Lord, as he's praying for them at that time to have grace and peace. Lord, as you've called me here to Bethesda to lead this church. Lord, to equip your people to do the work of the ministry. God, I pray today for grace and peace over everybody in this place. Lord, I pray for grace and peace over every mind in this place. Lord, I pray right now for grace and peace to be in every heart in this place. Lord, let it lead us, let it guide us, and let us be have a resounding unity, God, that we desire grace and peace for our community. Lord, we pray over Lewis County. Lord, we pray over Eastern Kentucky. And we pray over our region, God, that you have set us so uniquely in here as a church. 
Let us lead by grace and peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says amen. Won't you just hug your neighbor before you sit down and say, you look like you need some grace and you need some peace. You need some grace and peace. If there's anything the world and our society that we live in today needs to see from the body of Christ is grace. We sing the song Amazing Grace. We, we talk about the grace of God and, and how that Jesus' grace covers, covers us and all of our sin, that His mercy is everlasting and we say all these things, but do we demonstrate them? It's one thing to say things, but it's another thing to demonstrate things. And if we're to be the body of Christ and a demonstration to our community, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are to be demonstrating those qualities, those attributes, those characteristics of God. And we can talk about what we believe or what we think or what our opinion is. But people most likely watch what we do. If you, if you are involved in your community, if you are involved in outreaches, if you are involved in ministry, and you try to hurt or touch hurting people and and uh, allow them to experience God the way you have. One thing for sure to understand is this. That they're going to be watching you more than they're going to be listening to you. Do we as a church at Bethesda believe that our community has their eyes set on the things of God? I don't think so. I don't think that our community is in a state where that they're asking for and looking towards heaven for the answers to the troubles in their life. Amen. I don't know what job site you work on. Maybe you work on a job site where everybody there is a Christian and a believer. <laughs> it's not that way where I work. Maybe, maybe your group that you meet with on a weekly basis, maybe they're all Christian and, and, and they all are calling out on God. Maybe you are experiencing a different thing than I am, but I'm telling you today, it's not that way. But one thing for sure, it doesn't matter what state our community is in, what matters is what's God's intent for them. Just because they don't want something doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for them. I believe God has a plan for our community. I believe God has a plan for our church and our body that we meet together on a weekly basis and we, we study scripture and we seek God and we experience Jesus during worship and we, we sense God's presence when we're here. But I, I, I'm asking you today, are we having a power of unity about us that as we go that we're demonstrating these qualities that we have and possess in this room outside of this room? So as Paul is reading, uh, writing this scripture back to the church at Corinth, his heart is for the church. 
He cares about them deeply. He, he loves them. He has a, a desire for them. And he, he says even later on in a few verses that I think about you often. <laughs> How often do you think about other people in our body? In our group of believers here at Bethesda, how often do, does somebody else in this body cross your mind and you begin to pray for them and say, God, what's your will for their life? And God, is there any way and anything that I can do to help those other people? It's scary to me to think about that there's people that we meet together on a weekly basis, but we don't know each other at all. Last week, we had uh, 94 people in this room. All but one family was basically people of Bethesda. People that come periodically. We all don't meet at the same time. You know, some people will miss one week and go to a, 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 a cheerleading squad. I know uh, Eric and uh, Brittany's up at their final event up in Columbus this weekend at a, a cheering competition thing. We miss from time to time and, and different seasons for different things. That's okay. It doesn't mean that they're not part of Bethesda because they're not here every week. I was hoping for a better amen than that. I know everybody in this room has missed at least one Sunday a year, including me. Amen? I've missed a few. It doesn't mean that I'm not a part of the body. It doesn't mean that I'm not a part. But when they miss for a while or a season, do we notice? But the thing is, do we notice and do something about it? And if you haven't been to their house, then how much do you really care? I'm going to shut up before I get in trouble. I can tell you this. I practice what I preach. I go to people's houses and their homes, and I sit down on their couch because I love them. I don't have to be forced and coerced into doing something like that because I believe it's what the body of Christ is. I know that there's a, a deep abiding love between Sister Joanne and Sister Rose because whenever I can call or message Sister Rose on, on Facebook, she'll say, yeah, I talked to Joanne this week. Amen? I'm, I'm glad that there is a connection, that there is a, 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 a care for each other, a compassion for each other, and they know where each other lives. Uh, they, they've had lunch together. They've done all kinds of things together because they love each other. And they're part of each other's lives. And one thing that Paul is trying to embed in the Corinth church here is, is that there needs to be a deep abiding love for each other that unites each other because there is troubles. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is trials. There is opposition to the church. And unless we have a deep abiding faith and a deep abiding love for each other, we won't accomplish what we're set out to do because the devil will divide us and whenever he divides us, he conquers us. You've heard the saying, united we, divided we. It's as simple as that. It even says in Proverbs how, how good and, and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. God loves it when his people meet together. He says, if two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. How many wants God in the midst of you? In your presence, where that you can sense and know that he is taking care of you. Then meet together. Two amens. I was hoping for a better turnout than that. 
So in this message series, through this uh, 10 weeks, we're going to study Corinthians. I want you to commit to me as your pastor that you will find somebody to love and you will find somebody to meet with and you will find somebody to be united with as a church. Is there anybody who will say, I'll try to find a friend. I'm not very friendly, but I'll search the world over in, in Bethesda to try to find a friend. I need a friend. Anybody need a friend? What was the old song? What a friend we have in Jesus. There you go. It's good to have a friend in Jesus, but it's good to have a friend that you can go put your arms around too. Yeah. Amen? Somebody you can cherish. So I'm asking you to commit within the next 10 weeks that you will find somebody in the church to meet with. I don't care if it's a lunch. I don't care if you meet them at McDonald's. I don't care if you take them to Ponderosa and buy them a big steak. At, at the, at, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, the big steak down there, a man steak, and, and they got a big buffet with all the food that they can eat. Maybe you can go do that. Maybe you can take them on a trip and, and, and go off for a, a, little, a little season and, and just uh, have some enjoyment doing something. Find something you both have in common. I'm telling you this, that a church that's not united is divided. Maybe I need to say that again. A church that's not united is divided. So it's as simple as that, that there is a unity has to take place. And as Paul is writing to this church back at Corinth, he's, he's writing this letter and he's, he's talking about the, the believers there, and as we read and study through this book, uh, I want you to study it over and over and over again, like I said, just repetitively, just that we'll, we will read this until we, uh, it just makes sense to us. Have you ever read something in the Bible and it didn't make any sense? I have a lot. So if you read it over and over and over again, maybe we'll get the picture of what Paul is trying to say to the church, but it's not actually Paul saying it, it's God saying it. See, and that's one thing we, we, that sometimes I get into studying the historical side of a book and finding out who it was written to and, and, and why the purpose of why they was writing it. And I look at all these other things. It's called exegesis, and it teaches you that of how to uh, preach a sermon and to do, uh, go back and study those things. And those things are important. But the main thing we need to understand is this is the Word of God. It's God's Word to the church. And sure, it might have been written by Paul's hand, but the Bible says that, that the Scriptures were written by the holy men of old as the Spirit of God gave them, gave them the ability to pin down the words that's written here. So it's not something Paul was writing. This is God saying it to you. And the sooner we understand that, the better off we'll be. So as Paul is, is writing this down and pinning it on behalf of God, he's writing to the church at Corinth, somebody he cares about. He's deeply concerned about. And the main thing that I've read through this scripture and this text, this book of the Bible that I saw, was when Paul got word. We'll, we'll see this throughout the next 10 weeks. When he got word that there was trouble at the church, he didn't run and hide. Can I say that again openly and declare it openly? Paul, when he heard about trouble at the church, he did not run and hide. When trouble hits churches today, people run and hide. 
I don't want to be associated with that trouble. <laughs> Amen. It's true. Somebody starts stirring something, maybe the pot's getting stirred a little bit, and everybody's like, oh, that's trouble. I'm going to stay away from that. The farther I get away, the better off I'll be. Ain't you glad that Paul didn't take that approach in this book? Because now we have one of the most uh, uh, celebrated books in the Bible as far as, as how a church should operate. If Paul would not have listened to the voice of God and would not have wrote down the words that God told him to write to Corinth, we wouldn't have an operation guide to the church today. I'm glad the book of Corinthians was written. I'm glad Paul didn't run away from trouble, but he ran towards trouble. I'm telling you, there's some, there's some basic concepts to God that if we would really dig in and understand that God has the answers to our problems. Amen. He's got the answer to our problems. And if a church has issues, God wants involved. He don't run away and say, oh, no, I can't do nothing about that. I'm going to hide away from that. I think he writes letters back and says, hey, got to act different. Amen? I can tell you this, that 100% of the church issues that I've saw in my ministry was because somebody wasn't acting right. It's as simple as that. Mary's the only one that's ever seen anything bad happen in a church. She's the only one that said amen. Has anybody ever been in a church where that there was trouble? Maybe you're sitting in one. I don't know. Issues. Complaints. And usually it comes back to attitude and selfishness and and, and sometimes it's on part of the pastor. Maybe it's on, on the board. Maybe it's on the leadership at the, at the district office. Or maybe it just goes all the way down to where there's just somebody sitting in the seat that don't like somebody across the aisle very well. It's as simple as that sometimes. I've heard the horror stories about churches. And I've saw it firsthand on more than one occasion. Where that 30% of the people gets up during a service and walks out the door and never darkens the steps again. How many can say there's troubles in the church? But the deal is they won't work through and deal with their troubles and ask God for the answer to their troubles. They just shy away and run away. I heard this at the, uh, when we went through uh, the, the uh, church growth program several years ago. They talked about the, how that uh, there's conflict in the church. I thought, well, I don't like conflict. Does anybody enjoy conflict? Some people do. I don't show your hand if you raise it. I was going to say raise your hand, but no. There's some people enjoys conflict. They, they, they get some kind of, I don't know, emotional high from it or something. I don't enjoy conflict. I, I, like to, I like to get as far away from it as I can. That's my personality. I'm like, I don't want no part of that when there's trouble. It's my, my makeup, my nature, the way I am. And I run away from it. And they talked about how the, a church has either just recently came out of crisis. There, there's three stages to the church. They either just came out of crisis they're getting ready to go into crisis or going through a crisis. That's the three options and stages of a church. I was like, 
That's not the, I don't like any of those options. <laughs> and I, and I, I began to think about that and thought, well, no, God, God's the author of, of unity. He's, the, he's not the God of confusion. He's the God of, of unity. Right? So I, I'm contemplating this and I'm thinking about this. But then whenever you go back and read Scripture, how many knows the Bible's got the answers? If you want to know how the church, is, it's always been, and some people say, well, I'd like to go back to the first century church. Anybody ever heard that? I'd, I'd like to see uh, the first century church in action where they're mobilized and, and doing great things. When the first century, century church was mobilized and doing great things, they were getting crucified. Peter got hanged upside down. He was crucified upside down. John was boiled alive and survived. How would you like that? That's not the first century. You know, everybody wants the first century blessings, but they don't want the first century pain. So as this conflict issue began to get in my mind, and I thought about, you know, but God, I don't like a church with conflict. I, I don't like a church that's either in conflict, coming out of conflict, or they're getting ready to go into conflict. I don't like that kind of church. Go read every go read every epistle to every church and see if there wasn't conflict. I'm telling you. Romans, conflict. Galatians, conflict. Ephesians, conflict. Corinthians, conflict. Philippians, conflict. It's every book of the Bible in the New Testament. It's what happens when people get involved. Can I say that again? It's what happens when people get involved. And I, I'm beginning to understand this. The older I get, that I see this in, in organizations. It ain't just the church. So used to, I thought, well, it's just the church that's got all the trouble. No, it's any organization where there's people involved. Has anybody ever joined a club of some kind, any kind of club, like uh, Kiwanis or, or maybe I, there's just all sorts of kind of clubs out there, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, any kind of club organization, basketball team, softball team, every organization where there's people involved, I've noticed one thing in common at every one of them, conflict. If you don't believe me? Go down there to the softball team, one of them little girls, little 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old girls, stand there with a baseball or softball bat and, and trying to hit a ball, and the parents are involved. They're behind the scenes trying to manipulate so that their daughter gets to be the one that hits the ball. Their daughter's the one that needs to pitch. Their daughter's the one that needs to catch. There's conflict because of people. So the church is no different. If people's involved, there's conflict. But the only difference is between the church and those organizations is we have a God who cares for us. And we have a God that wants us to work through our conflicts and get them resolved. You see, on a softball team, sometimes there's not enough room for two big egos. So one's got to walk away and the other one gets to stay. Oh, me. I'm liking this sermon already. I'm liking this sermon series already because it's helping me to see that there needs to be some answers in church, not problems in church. 
I want God to give us the answers as a church. And whenever there's people that have a, a disagreement or a, 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 a conflict with, with issues going on, maybe behind the scenes, and as a body, I want us to get over them and be bigger than those. The only way our church will ever grow is whenever we commit, like I said last week, and we commit, and we commit to the, to the process of working through conflict. Is anybody, I'll tell you where the most conflict resides, is with people you're with the most. It's called family. <laughs> we love our family, don't we? Uh-oh, Earl just told Trish she loved her. That's a once-in-a-lifetime event. You better get a, that's recorded. Hopefully it comes in through the mic and you'll be able to hear it in the message from now on. But in family, there's conflict. I've seen families divide over things, but most of the times families work through things because they're committed to each other. They work through their problems, and they say, you know what? I don't have to always be right. I'll take the high road this time, and I'll let it go. I want to be like those ducks out in the pond that can dip down in the water and raise up and not a drop of it soaks into their feathers it just rolls right off as a Christian I want to be a type of Christian that whenever the, the, the threat of life whenever the enemy of our souls tries to come in and divide us and conquer us and, and tear down the body of Christ I want it to just roll off my back like the water does off those ducks don't you I want to be somebody that just will stand strong and say no matter what enemy you can't have me and my church because we're going to stand united we're going to not be divided we're going to come together and we're going to agree and we're going to compromise and we're going to give in sometimes and and give up our ideal and our philosophy and our mentality sometimes for the greater good as a whole Paul loved the church of Corinth enough to stick with them he didn't run away When he penned these words and these letters back to the church at Corinth, I can imagine when they begin to read them, they're like, you know what? I never liked Paul anyway. I guarantee you that's what happened, Ernie. I, I, I would about bet that anything, that if the people that was reading this letter for the first time when it was introduced to the church at Corinth, they were sitting there and they said, you know what? I never liked Paul anyway. Fooey on Paul. <laughs> I don't care if he comes back here or not. Why? Because he's in my face. What do you mean? I can't marry my mother-in-law? Paul, you ain't got no right to tell me that. Everybody say, that's fouled up. We'll, we'll read about it later. <laughs> I mean, I love you and everything, Karen, but we're not getting married. I married Leslie. Sorry. It's just weird. You know what I'm saying? It's just weird. But that's what was going on. Paul had to say something. Because people are watching our actions. And the whole reason that anybody will say anything to you is not to hurt you. It's to keep your actions from allowing others to think it's okay. I love Bethesda enough. 
come through the power. Then Leslie sold our house. Well, it took us a year to sell our house when we moved here. Year and a half, 18 months, paying two house payments. Wasn't easy. But when we came, we had the mentality of, let's go and see how it goes. Let's go to Bethesda, because that's home, and let's just see how it goes. And to tell you that it's been a joyous ride here at Bethesda for us as a couple, I can absolutely tell you that it has not been. We was here about four weeks. Sister Joanne was here during all of this. About four weeks into us being here, Pastor Wells comes down and drives down here. He's the presbyter for the region, and he come down here to, to uh, pray over us and anoint us as the pastors of Bethesda. The morning he walks in, how many got up? About 20 people for sure stood up, walked back in that room back there, got their pots and pans, and walked down the steps and has never been back since. How would you like to be called to be the pastor? And the day you're getting installed, 20 people walk out the door. You know why? Because they said, I never did like that being much. And you know what it was about? Truly? Because we had a youth event, and they had lights flashing. They're turning our church into a youth church. Is that not what they said, Sister Joanne? She got the phone calls. She remembers this conflict. <laughs> you was here. You was here. I remember the phone call from Sister Joanne that said, What's going on? They're saying stuff. And we explained to her, and she said, well, that don't make any sense. I'm staying. I was like, good, somebody's staying. We're, we're going to do all right. We got, a, we got somebody that will stay now. Conflict has happened with Bethesda. I saw us go through conflicts of extreme pain. I remember talking to Dustin Alvey about how that there's a, a like a honeymoon period when you come to in ministry that about nine months you'll be doing okay and things will go okay and, and then there's a honeymoon and everything will fall apart, the wheels will fall off the cart is what it feels like. Explained it to him. Did you experience it? Absolutely. And as ministry, as leaders of the church, what I do when I go home is I pray for those people. Even though it hurts, even though it feels like my world has been shattered, even though it seems like it don't make sense, what I have to do is pray. And usually when I pray, God helps it become okay. Amen? Because I see people in town 
I don't want that feeling of, oh, no, I have to talk to them. I want it to be okay. And God makes things, the conflicts, okay if we will resolve in ourselves that, God, you know the answers to the world's problems, and I'm not it. Amen? Everybody say that with me. God, you know the answer to the world's problems, and I'm not it. <laughs> Nobody in this room that's the answer to the world's problems. The answer to the world's problems hang upon a cross called Calvary, and his blood covered their sins. Amen? He was smitten. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was he was rejected. He was despised, the Bible says. And during all those things, he done it because he loved us. So what I'm telling you today is this. Love your church enough to stick with your church. Love your church enough to hang around and watch God change our church. I've saw God change our church into, into a church that loves God and loves people. That's, that's the motto on our walls, and, and I see it in the heart of people. Whenever, whenever we talk to each other and, and, and meet each other and, and I meet you in your home, I see a love for God and a love for people, and that's what we are as Bethesda. So today I'm asking you to love your church, not to walk away from your church, but to join in and say, God, I will endure conflict. I will come through conflict. And Lord, I will be with you. And you can change me during that conflict. Because I have been changed. My personality has been changed by conflict I have been through in my life. My relationship, and when, when Leslie tries to pick a fight with me, that she does all the time, I learned to endure those conflicts. And we grow stronger all the time. Kind of bothered me yesterday. She got rid of my recliners. Bradley took our recliners last week. I love my recliners. Anybody love your recliner? Recliners are awesome. You know what I'm saying? Whoever invented that was a smart person. I had this big recliner. It was fluffy and wide, and I could sit sideways. Or I mean, I loved that recliner. It would tilt back. I mean, I just loved it. She got rid of my recliner. She's trying to pick a fight. I know what she's doing, Brad. I, I'm seeing through this. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so she's, she's, she got rid of my recliner. So now she bought us this thing called a love seat. Yeah. Woo! Everybody's like, yes, the love seat. Right. I used to watch the love boat on TV. You know, it's not the love seat. So now she got us a love seat, and it's got this little armrest in between it. It's got these cup holders, and it reclines like a recliner. It's kind of like a recliner, but you got to sit close to somebody. How awesome is that? I was thinking, you know what? I'd rather sit farther away and have my table there that I put all my junk on. But now she's got me in this love seat. I think she's got a new mode for our relationship. She's trying to get us to join closer. You know what I'm saying? Unity. And wouldn't you know that God would allow that to happen during this sermon series where we have to talk about unity for 10 weeks and I've got to sit on a love seat next to Leslie. Jake will take over. It ain't going to be no problem anyway. The dog, Jake. <laughs> Here's the big ideal for today's message is this. Our, pers our pursuit of maturing in Christ is not meant to be done alone. 
we are called to be not only mindful of, but an active participant in the large family of saints. And I love it that we've got a, a, a young family that came and attended here last week. We took them cookies yesterday like we take everybody cookies. Thank you, Tara, for going and taking the cookies. And they committed yesterday that they'll come to Kentucky Heights service today at 4. Amen. The way we win young families and people and, and, and allow them their lives to be radically transformed is for us to exemplify loving God and loving people. If we live that example, I'm telling you as a church, if they come in and see, wow, this church is a church that loves each other even though they're different. I'm glad that there's age uh, from the top to the bottom. I'm glad that we've got little uh, snotty-nosed kids running around and eating cheese puffs. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. When I came here, they had a sign over the door that said, no food or drinks in the sanctuary. What do you think that says to a young family that brings their kids in and their little uh, baby girl wants to walk around eating a cheese puff? says, you're not invited. I remember Leslie rejoicing the day that she got a paint scraper and scraped that thing off the wall back there and said, finally, people can come in and feel invited rather than rejected. I'm so happy as a church that we're allowed to eat cheese puffs, and I need a, I need a drink right now. Where's your water at? I need a drink. My throat is for sure. Just <laughs> I take it all back. I'm sorry. I love you so much, and our love seat is... Just fabulous. Did you hear that? Did you hear what she said? She said, you don't like change. And that's exactly right. 90% of conflict arises from change. I saw that in organizations. You try to change an organization, you're going to have conflict. But I'm okay with that. If the change brings the right result, seeing God do things in people's lives. And... Basically, I feel like what we're saying is, as Paul was writing this to the Corinth church, that there was problems at the church, during this message, I don't know why, but 10 weeks we're going to spend talking about how that Bethesda needs to change. How many can say, amen? How many would like to see our church change, as in more people's lives getting radically transformed? If that's what we're about, the only purpose is about seeing people come to know Jesus and have a faith in him that they didn't have before and to make heaven their home because of something we did. And if we give up our differences and unite together in this army of believers, we will see that. Let's be active and participate in the greater good of all. I'm ready for Bethesda to be great again. In my best Donald Trump voice, let's make Bethesda great again. Can't make my lips do that. Crosses over down. Yeah, I need a I need a wig. I need a wig. But truly, as we look through this next ten week series of, of Corinthians, please this week go and read the book of First Corinthians. Just read through it. And we're gonna we're gonna deal with some things in this in this book that deals with us and it's gonna get personal. Look your neighbor and say, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm ready for God to deal with me. And if you're not ready for God to deal with you, you're not going to change any, and he's not going to do much through you because you're not willing to uh, meet him where he needs to meet you.
Amen? I need God to deal with me. Everybody in this room needs God to deal with them. As leadership, as a church, as a body, we need God to deal with us. So commit with me through these next 10 weeks that we're going to read this book and we're going to allow God to challenge us and change us through what he says to us. Hopefully there's nobody marrying their mother-in-laws in the next 10 weeks. Amen. All the problems that we see, you'll see in Corinthians, you're going to see a lot of issues going on. There's trouble. Abuse. Allow God to deal with you. And see if it won't change you for the good. Let's stand. I've, this past week, I've, I recently have been studying some history and, and some things for, for my job and, and working on some things. And, and I was reading an article back in, uh, I think it was 1916, this article was written. And it was somebody that was talking about war. And he actually come into a church I believe it was down in Texas, and he, he spoke for a, a long time on, on what war is and how war has been throughout the ages of time. And he spoke eloquently, and he really had words to persuade people and talk to people. But at the end of his message, he was, he was a guest at this church, and as he, as he sat down on the seat, the article said that the pastor stood up in the pulpit and said, I disagree with everything that man just said. And I thought through it, and I was like, God, division in the church is nothing new. Help us to overcome those obstacles of division. It just never amazed, ceases to amaze me how much God that allows me to go through things as a season. And how our sermon series is lined up with things I'm going through in my life at that season. And I've heard multiple people that comes to church, they'll say, man, that message series, that sermon series was right now and it felt like God was speaking to me precisely today. I'm not saying Bethesda's got some great uh, controversy and turmoil going on behind the scenes. I don't know of any trouble right now in our body. I'm, I'm glad it seems like a, a little a, a breath of fresh air right now for me as a pastor. I'm not preaching this message series to try to coerce people into doing something they wouldn't do or, or manipulate or anything like that. It's just this is what God has for us. And maybe it's during a season of rest that we're in right now that he's, he's uh, aiding us and, and teaching us. commit to unity 
don't you just bow your head and close your eyes? Holy Spirit, I ask that you come in this room. Holy Spirit, you persuade people to align their lives with your purpose and with our Heavenly Father's plan. Lord, I pray today that the people in this room Lord, that their actions would begin to align with what they say. Lord, help us live out our conviction. Lord, there's people in this room I know today that's been battling some things in their life. Lord, some obstacles that the enemy is. Your word calls them traps or snares that he sets in our path. Lord, there's people in this room that's tried to overcome things with their own power. Lord, today I know that you're working on us from the inside out. Lord, I pray today that decisions would be made in this place to practice what we preach. That our actions would align with our words. Lord, that we would shun evil and we would chase you. Help every person in this place to have a deep abiding faith and also a deep abiding love for each other. Lord, I pray for the people in this room today. Lord, that you would awaken us in the night. Lord, when one's having trouble, your word says that we're all having trouble. Your word says that when one rejoices, we all rejoice, God. So, Lord, help us as a body to grow together. Lord, that we would be active together in life. Lord, there's some families in this room that's dealing with issues right now. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, to gather around those, those that's dealing with issues right now. God, we would have a deep abiding love for each other enough to see each other through the storms of life and trials of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to see a raise of hands. If how many will say, Pastor Ben? The Holy Spirit is working on my heart and he's asking me to 
begin to act differently. Is there anybody that just raise their hand and say the Holy Spirit is dealing with me to act differently? I've got to start acting better. My actions need to change. Multiple people. Multiple people raising their hands. You can put them down. I commit to you, I'll pray for you all this week. And I also commit to you that God is going to help you with those actions. Father, we love you with our whole heart. Nobody knows who raised each other's hands. Won't you just reach over and just lay your hand gently on your neighbor, lay it on their shoulder. I want you to begin to pray for each other right now. Everybody here, if you would just touch that neighbor's hand, touch them on the shoulder, and begin to pray for them right now, that God would help them with their actions, that they would act differently, that they would act according to Scripture. Begin to pray over them right now. for a body of believers that join together in unity, God, to worship you in spirit and in truth.